Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with the newly appointed city librarian, Michael Lambert. He's talking about how the library is about to go fine free, how it's an unlikely hotbed of resistance to President Trump, and how it handles the homeless and injection drug crisis just outside its doors and sometimes inside them. Listen to the very end to find out the unusual way he once got down Lombard Street. I'll be right back with Michael Lambert. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Michael Lambert. Well, congratulations on your new appointment by the mayor. Thank you so much. <laughs> How does that feel to be San Francisco's official librarian now? It is the most exhilarating feeling you can possibly imagine. I have the greatest job in the world. San Francisco has the best public library system in the country. And I am so honored to follow in Luis Herrera's footsteps. Right. How long have you been in the library system in San Francisco? This is my fifth year. Mm -hmm. St. Patrick's Day is actually my five-year anniversary. Oh, cool. And um, why did you want to go into the field originally? It's... Really serendipity. I was a freshman at the University of South Carolina in 1992. November of 1992, I got my first part-time job in a public library. It was in my hometown of Columbia, South Carolina, mm -hmm. the Richland County Public Library. And I took a position in the periodicals department. And this was in the era of microfilm machines and microfiche readers. I was helping people do research, and I was uh, a periodicals clerk. So I maintained all the bound periodicals and the, the archives of magazines and newspapers. That huh. was my, my start 27 years ago. Was that just because you needed to make money, or was that like a dream of yours as a kid or somewhere it was, in between? It started out as a part-time job, but I stuck with it and developed a passion for the work. I've dedicated my entire adult life to service. Mm -hmm. But it was really when I transitioned into the children's department and started seeing the impact of early literacy. I was a storyteller and um, worked closely with the children's librarians at the Richland County Public Library that I really saw this as a, a, a career. And I secured a scholarship with the help of my boss and the library director, and I went to library school. And that allowed me to move to the Bay Area when I was 25. Mm -hmm. I got my first librarian job in San Mateo County. 
Cool. And the San Francisco Library last year was named the best library system in the country. Um, what was that like to to hear that? Is that like the Oscars for librarians? <laughs> this is the highest honor a library organization can achieve in our industry. And last June, members of our library commission, our library staff, we were the toast of the town in New Orleans. <laughs> we were at wow. the American Library Association annual conference. And it was so amazing to accept this award for the city and county of San Francisco. Did you get a trophy or what was We did. The there is a beautiful glass trophy in the office of the city librarian. We were on the cover of Library Journal. We are really fortunate because it's, it's a testament to this city. The residents of this city have supported the library in a way that other communities haven't. Uh, for the past 25 years, we've benefited from the Library Preservation Fund. We have uh, incredible support from the community, but it's also a testament to our staff. They're passionate, they're mission-driven, and we are committed to delivering the highest possible level of service mm -hmm. to San Francisco. I want to give a shout out to the librarians at the Glen Park branch. My kids yes. are going to go there all the time. <laughs> we know them by name. Thank you so much. I read about an impactful meeting that the library staff had the day after Donald Trump was elected president. Can you tell me about that meeting and what came out of it? Absolutely. For the past couple of years, we have been having internal conversations about the future of the San Francisco Public Library, and we had a structured group called the Future of the Library Forum. And it just so happened that we had uh, our regularly scheduled meeting for that Wednesday morning following the election. And we came into the meeting, and it was evident that the staff were really hurting, and they were reeling. So we threw out the agenda that we had that day, and we had a profound conversation about how could we, as an organization, as a library staff, be more inclusive? How could we be more committed to welcoming everyone in our community, to serving immigrants? And that meeting gave birth to our All Are Welcome initiative. And it's been powerful. We've been working closely with the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs. Uh, we've worked very closely with them on their Pathways to Citizenship initiative. We've uh, been offering pro bono, one-on-one -on -one, uh, legal assistance for immigrants on a, a wide range of topics, uh, Know Your Rights workshops, um, how to secure citizenship uh, workshops, and it, it all started at that meeting the day after the election. Hmm. You wouldn't really think of um, a library system as being part of the resistance, but can you explain why that has become you know, true here in San Francisco? San Francisco Public Library is a national model. We are a socially conscious library. We pride ourselves on being the most democratic of institutions uh, if you go to any of our library locations, you will see a sign prominently displayed, all are welcome. And we are committed to, you know, reflecting the values of San Francisco and uh, really the diversity. Uh, we have equity initiatives, inclusion initiatives, and that's what we're known for on a national level is the cultural programming that we deliver. Uh, we're currently celebrating Women's History Month We've had a fantastic lineup. Just last night, we had a program 
that was in partnership with the New York Times and, and celebrating the 116th Congress, the 130 women that are a part of this, this Congress. And it was phenomenal. We had over 200 people come to this program. And this is coming on the heels of more than a month. We celebrate Black History Month in mm -hmm. San Francisco starting on Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday in January. And that is intentional. It's, it's a demonstration that those extra two months in January provide us more of an opportunity to celebrate African-American history and culture. Uh, we are one of the lead agencies in San Francisco for celebrating Asian and Pacific American Heritage Month in May. We're partnering with the Asian and Pacific American Heritage Foundation and the um, Asian Art Museum for a very robust lineup of programming. And that type of programming extends throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And the Library Commission is voted to become fine-free this fall and to forgive existing fines as well. Can you explain how that's going to work and why you think it's important? This is so exciting. This is the 140th year of the San Francisco Public Library's existence. And for the entirety of our existence, we have had this punitive service model that doesn't work. Uh, we've been charging people overdue fines. And what we found is across every demographic, everyone incurs overdue fines. When we look at our patrons, one-third of our patrons currently have a balance of some sort on their accounts. But when we looked more closely at the data, what we found is the impact of overdue fines disproportionately impacts communities of color, uh, communities that are um, on the lower socioeconomic scale, and, and just to put that in perspective, 11% of our patrons in the Bayview, for example, currently have their cards blocked. And we, we want to change that. We are here to serve. This is antithetical to our mission. Uh, so we're very proud to have the mayor's support and the support of our library commission to propose eliminating overdue fines. We're looking forward to going before the Board of Supervisors as part of the budget process and presenting the data. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and hopefully implementing our fine-free service model this fall. And I do want to give a shout-out to the San Francisco Financial Justice Project. We partnered with the Treasurer and Tax, tax Collector's Office um, to issue a, a comprehensive white paper analysis. They hired a public policy fellow from the UC Berkeley Goldman School of Public Policy, and, and he did a very extensive analysis of the impact of overdue fines. So how will it work in practicality? Will people still be told you have three weeks to return this book, but nothing happens if they don't? Is that basically? Or can people keep, just keep things as long as they want? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> uh, we still want our books back. <laughs> uh, we are going to take a number of actions. So it's, it's a multifaceted strategy. We're going to increase the noticing. We're going to set up an automated renewal system. So if you check out a book and nobody's waiting for it, it will automatically renew itself. Oh. And we're also going to look at increasing the amount of time people can have a book or the number of renewals you can have. Um, but at the end of the day, if you don't bring the book back, you're still going to be charged a replacement fee. Uh, but how much time would, th would that be that the person has to... Currently, it. it's 60 days before a book will go into a lost mm -hmm. status. 
Uh, we're going to shorten that time period so that people are noticed more quickly mm-hmm. that they need to bring the book back. Um, and we do have a partnership with the Treasurer and Tax Collector, the Bureau of Delinquent Revenue. So we've successfully partnered with them in the past on a collections initiative. And it's a very benign campaign. They send out letters to people just reminding them that they have a book that is in law status and what the amount is uh, that they owe for the replacement. So we found that we've had a good success rate of recovering materials that way. Uh, But certainly before it gets to that point, we're going to be sending people email reminders and giving everybody an opportunity to keep the book as long as they need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, we do want our books back when (laughs) people are finished with them. Could people's (laughs) accounts still be blocked if they don't pay that fee? So if someone has an account balance in excess of $10, they will not be able to check out more physical items. They can still use our computers. They can still check out eBooks. They can still attend programs. So the vast majority of services are still available to them. Uh, but if if they do have a lost book on their account, more than likely they would not be able to check out another book until they bring it back. But under the new system, that $10 would only come from lost materials and exactly. not from clients. Okay. Exactly. And in March, uh, at our most recent Library Commission meeting, the Library Commission drafted a resolution urging the Board of Supervisors to consider forgiving all past overdue fines. And that way everyone can benefit, not just the people moving forward that will Mm -hmm. no longer incur overdue fines, but we want to welcome back the tens of thousands of patrons that uh, either are blocked from using the library currently or who have stopped using the library because of overdue fines. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful opportunity to re-engage. And I read that um, that would cost $1.57 million if you wiped out all the outstanding Fines. Would you have to find a way to make up that money in your budget, or were you never counting on getting that anyway? The latter. Uh, largely, a lot of that debt is unrecoverable, I would say. Uh, we have patrons who are active borrowers, and that is defined by individuals who have used the library in the past three years. Uh, we have 17,500 individuals who currently cannot use the library because their balance exceeds $10. And then there's another, you know, tens of thousands of individuals who are inactive, who haven't used the library in three or more years. So we're looking forward to welcoming those individuals back. And for us, it was never about the revenue. We budget $300,000, $350,000 annually that we could anticipate uh, receiving from overdue fines. But you know, out of a $164.7 million budget, I I imagine that's probably less than two-tenths of one percent mm-hmm. of our budget. Yeah. And um, the San Francisco Library was the first in the country to hire a social worker, and staff have been trained on how to handle drug overdose, overdoses that happen in the library. But there are still issues related to homelessness and drug use, especially inside the main library and just outside of it. How do you balance the needs of homeless people and drug users to use the library and especially the bathrooms while also keeping the libraries clean and safe for everybody else? Our commitment rests in our core values for customer service. We have five core values for access, service, professionalism, diversity, and community. And I would also point back to our All Are Welcome initiative. When our our patrons enter the library, 
we do not see housed versus unhoused individuals. Uh, our staff are mission-driven and they, they welcome everybody. That being said, we recognize that there are challenges in the community. The main library is in the heart of the Tenderloin, which has the largest number of people experiencing homelessness. And under the visionary leadership of my predecessor, Luis Herrera, San Francisco Public Library was the first urban library in the country to have a full-time social worker embedded at the main library. Over the years, we've continued to expand and build around that successful program. We have a team of health and safety associates who are themselves individuals who were formerly experiencing homelessness. And that team allows us to engage with um, individuals experiencing homelessness who are using the library in a very discreet, compassionate manner. Uh, these individuals can relate to one another. And that allows our social worker program to do a better job of intake and getting individuals connected with services. I would also highlight our partnership with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. They're incredible partners, and they actually make it possible for us to have our social worker, Leah Esguera, at the library. There's other partnerships with the Department of Public Health, nonprofits. Lava May is one of our greatest partners. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but their mission is to restore dignity one oh, yeah. shower at I a time. I know about them very well. Uh, so they park every Tuesday on the Fulton Street side of the library mm -hmm. and offer free showers. And we've been able to partner with them every other month and have what's called a pop-up care village. Mm -hmm. So individuals can come and get a hot meal. They can get a haircut, uh, medical care. Uh, we have lots of other partners. SF Hot Team is there. So it's been a very successful uh, extension of this, this program that started 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. There were issues um, a few years ago with the bathrooms, especially at the main library. Do you think those have been cleared up. I know people were essentially bathing in the sinks and bringing all their stuff in there, doing laundry, like other things, some drug use. So, We have made great strides. And currently we have another partnership with Hunter's Point Family, and we're piloting having restroom attendants in our restrooms at the main library. And this supports our custodians in keeping the, the restrooms uh, a safe and welcoming place. Um, we have seen the number of security incidents at the main library decline. Uh, so we are doing much better mm -hmm. than we have in the past. Mm -hmm. Cool. And um, should the city expect any changes under your leadership or do you plan to just continue as you have been? That's an excellent question, and this is day three <laughs> since my appointment. Tell uh, me now. <laughs> You know, the San Francisco Public Library is thriving, and we are thriving as an anchor institution. So my purpose is to make sure it stays that way. Mm -hmm. And we have a number of capital projects in the pipeline. We're renovating the Mission Branch, a historic Carnegie Library. We're looking at uh, providing better service for the Ocean View neighborhood, whether it's a renovation or possibly a new library. We're in discussions right now about that. And we're also going to be renovating the Chinatown Library, which is also another historic Carnegie Library. But we're very excited about the future. We're uh, going to be conducting a comprehensive facilities master plan in the fall. 
Um, I also intend to do a listening tour with the staff. Mm -hmm. I want to visit every branch. I want to reintroduce myself to the staff. But more importantly, I want to hear from them how would they like to contribute to the mission and the vision of the San Francisco Public Library moving forward? Great. Well, those were my serious questions. And now we move on to the lightning round, which some people have found more. Ooh. <laughs> lightning. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you don't live in a city. You're in Palo Alto. So some of these are San Francisco specific, but you can broaden it out to the Bay Area if okay. you'd like. Um, what is your favorite place in San Francisco or the Bay Area to get a burrito? My favorite place to get a burrito is Street Taco on, is it Ninth Street? I, I go by there driving into the city every day, but uh, I love going there for lunch on occasion. Uh -huh. It's fantastic. It's, it's a small place, kind of a little hole in the wall, but it's a well-kept secret. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite place for a stiff drink? Ooh... Well, it's funny. Um, up until recently, I would go into the Hotel Whitcomb. There, mm -hmm. there used to be a, a bar there. Um, but now I take advantage of the Twitter market. Mm -hmm. um, I just enjoy a, a cold beer on occasion, and they have a nice happy hour, and the staff there are very friendly. Cool. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say The Birds. Wasn't that an Alfred Hitchcock yeah. movie that was filmed here? Yeah. And this is specific to you, being a librarian. Who is your favorite San Francisco writer, past or present? Dave Eggers. He is an inspiration. He is phenomenal. His commitment to our democracy and... Uh, just so passionate. I love mm -hmm. Dave Eggers. And um, are you a big reader at home, or do you kind of get sick of um, literary life and then <laughs> try to do something else? It's so funny. I was talking to my colleague Michelle Jeffers just this morning, and I said, I'm going to have to start reading more fiction because personally I'm a history buff. Uh -huh. I'm currently reading Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David Blight, and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a fascinating book, but I, I love history. How many books would you say you read, like in a month or a year? I I have two or three books on my nightstand at any given moment all the time. So maybe two dozen or more books a year. Mm -hmm. And um, the library has an awesome drag queen story time. <laughs> so who is your favorite San Francisco drag queen? Ooh. I do not know her name <laughs> off the, the tip of my tongue, but I have been to the Eureka Valley branch for the Drag Queen Storytime, and it's just wonderful to see the outpouring from the community. Mm -hmm. we, we pack the house every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. What is your favorite book of all time? It's a children's book, and I'm a former children's librarian, and it's called The Missing Piece by Shel Silverstein. Yeah, I love that book. One. And what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Exercise. Mm -hmm. I go to the YMCA every day. Down in Palo Alto or That's here? right. Yeah? <laughs> yes. What do you do there? I run on the treadmill five miles, and I do that every day. But then every other day I lift weights. Uh -huh. Cool. 
Well, congratulations again, and thanks for coming today. Thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate it. Thanks to Michael Lambert for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. So uh, you just divulged after the recording went off that uh, <laughs> that you were a competitive skateboarder and you skated down Lombard Street? Yes, yeah, skateboarding was my first passion. I skated essentially over half my life. I still own some skateboards. And even though I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, I visited San Francisco for the first time uh, in the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year. And it was so much fun. I What was it like to skateboard down Lombard? Did you break anything? <laughs> it was fun. It was classic. And in fact, I would I would love to do that again someday. We'll have to get the film crew out there for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chronicle video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so weightlifting, skateboarding, city librarian yes. here on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>